Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. She's teaching preschool because she's always teaching the class. That's what she does. Uh, she usually makes her way out to the lobby afterwards if you'd like to say hello to her. Uh, this is the time of year, and I can feel it in all of you. Uh, if any of you are sports fans, uh, we call this in baseball the dog days of summer. Right? The dog days of summer are when... All the fun stuff, it seems like has happened, right? The all-star game just happened in baseball, if you're wondering. The all-star game is, has happened. It's hot everywhere. You know, early in the baseball season, some of the places you go, it's actually still pretty cool. Like, the weather is pretty cool, but it's hot everywhere this time of year. Everywhere you go, it's hot, frustrating. It seems like there's a million games to go. The season's never going to be over. And our lives are a little bit the same way, right? The beginning of summer has happened. The kids have gotten out of school. There's been this excitement a lot of us have gone on our summer vacations. We've, went, we've gone to summer camp, right? The 4th of July happened. That's always a highlight. And now it's just the countdown to school, right? 30, 35 more days. Some of you are counting uh, a little more closely than others, right? Uh, um, we want you to know, though, that we're so grateful that you're part of our church. Thank you for being here today. God is moving. There's exciting things happening, uh, even in the dog days of summer. Lots of stuff we're excited to let you know about as we move forward. Uh, looking forward to share with you. And all of those things, everything we do here is in the name of, of making Jesus known. Everything we do, we want to make the name of Jesus known. And to help more people know him, to know him better. And if we do that uh, to the best of our ability, then we've done what we're supposed to do. With those things said, let's move forward today. We're going to be in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament today. If you have your Bible, you can get it ready. We're going to be Genesis chapter 43 is where we're going to start. We're talking this morning about the foundation of redemption with Joseph the dreamer. Now, foundation, that's a word that we're all familiar with. If you're a sci-fi nerd like myself or guy, I'm not really a nerd, but I do a lot of sci-fi. There's a sci-fi series called Foundation. You might think of that. But most of us think of foundation, the part of a building, right? Foundation is a word that we understand. We don't even have to look it up in the dictionary. Sometimes I'll put the dictionary definition up there. We don't even have to do that. Because a foundation is the basis on which something is built. Whether it's a building or a business or a life, right? Anything that is successful has a strong foundation. We all know this. However, there are times, sometimes, when something has already been built, but something has happened that has caused the whole thing to need to be rebuilt, right? If a house has become old and dilapidated, there are times it is just torn completely down to the foundation, right? They bring some sort of wrecker in, and they just knock that thing down, and they start over. They have to make sure before they build anything else, though, that the foundation is solid, and they have to rebuild from there. And the reason being is because what was built there is already too far gone to be restored in any meaningful way. It would take way more work to restore it, and it wouldn't be as good than if they just tore it down. And to have something usable, a lot of times the old has to be uh, knocked down if it hasn't already collapsed. It has to be stripped away. We had a situation in our house in CUNA several years before we moved. Uh, we had a, a refrigerator with an ice maker, and uh, man, I love ice makers. I love being able to have ice. This is just the, one of the best inventions man has ever made is an ice maker, right? <laughs> Put the water bottle under there. It's awesome. Uh, we had an ice maker, and uh, we had a, like the fridge was here, and there's a wall and a bookshelf on the other side, and, uh, and uh, the ice maker was working fine, but one day I came down the stairs, and I noticed there was like a black area behind the bookshelf. 
Um, we, had, we had both little boys at this time, both little boys, two dogs. Christina was living with us. It was a busy house. And uh, I went to investigate more, and the carpet was wet. And I'm thinking, ooh, this is not good, right? And it's on the other side of the wall from the fridge. So I start tearing stuff out, pulling the refrigerator out. Sure enough, under the fridge is wet. The wall is wet. The carpet's wet. Everything is wet. There's mold growing on the carpet. Bad situation. And what had happened is the ice maker line had, like, cracked or something like that, and it had been leaking for who knows how long. We had no way of knowing until we saw the wet carpet that was behind the bookshelf, right? So, of course, we call, you know, we, we, uh, we get the water turned off, we call disaster cleanup, we call our insurance company, all that good stuff, and they come in, and you know where this is going. They say, boy, we're going to have to tear all that carpet out. And not only did they tear that carpet out, they tore all the carpet out in the entire downstairs. Moved everything out of the house, tore the, all the carpet out in the entire downstairs, all the stairs, all the way up to the landing. And that spot where the water was, right, they tore the carpet out, they got it all the way down to the wood, and they put these big fans on it to make sure it was dry. There's a part of it that didn't dry, so the guy cut it out, right, and had to get it just right. Because before they put anything new on it, and there's a lot of new on it, right, they put, like, the pad under the carpet and the new carpet, all that stuff. Before they did that, they had to make sure the foundation the carpet was going to go on was good, right? If they just go and build it on bad and rotted wood, it will just be bad again. In our lives, friends, by the way, it was a huge blessing, that carpet. I mean, it was, we paid our insurance deductible. We got new carpet in the whole house. The Lord was taking good care of us. It was awesome. <laughs> in our lives, friends, there's parts of it we go through, and sometimes there's parts of our life that just plain and simple, they need to be rebuilt. That's just the way that it works. And the example we have in front of us we're going through today is Joseph's family. I believe, though, that God wants to speak to us this morning, uh, not just about our families. I believe if you're here today, we say this a lot, you're not here by accident. God doesn't make mistakes. You're here for a reason this morning. But about every part of our lives, there's parts that need to be torn down, rebuilt sometimes. Sometimes we have a habit in our life, and what needs to happen is it needs to be just completely destroyed and has to build up from the bottom. Sometimes uh, there's a part of our life that has to do with a habit, and it's the place addiction holds in our life, and we have to deal with it. Sometimes it, uh, it's our job, right, and, and the way we interact with uh, the employees and our boss and people like that. I believe about uh, when it comes to who Jesus is and how he affects our life, sometimes we have to reexamine who Jesus is to us. Is it just a story or, or is it someone we've invited into our heart? And possibly, yes, our families, right, as we seek to love our family, hopefully change our world, sometimes Got to tear it down to the foundation. Not always when it comes to something like this, is it bad or sinful? Sometimes life happens, things change, things change, and you got to start over a little bit. Simply put, all of us have parts of our life that at one point or another, they need to be redeemed or rebuilt. And not only does the old have to be torn away, but there's work that has to be done before anything useful can be there. We've been talking about this theme of reconciliation with within Joseph's family in the Old Testament, how there was a decision that was made and a lie that was told, and 20 years later, still wreaking havoc on this family. And that's kind of where we are in the story. If you are not familiar with it, you have to go back and listen to some previous weeks, but I'll give you a thumbnail sketch. Joseph's father, Jacob, is still feeling the effects of having his heart broken by his sons 20 years earlier. Joseph's 10 brothers 
they're still held captive by this secret that they've been keeping from their father and with each other for two decades. Like many parts of our lives, their entire family has been torn down, and they're just uh, reaping the effects of this over and over again. We're about to see, especially next week, this story in Genesis really take an incredible turn. But if you, you like me, have parts of your lives that have at times been reduced to a pile of rubble. We see several building blocks in this passage we're going to read today that create the foundation of redemption. I'm here to tell you, friends, I believe I accepted the Lord when I was six years old. I'm 43. That means I've been serving the Lord for 37 years. All those days, I believe if I died, I would have gone to heaven. But there's been times when parts of my life have been torn down to the foundation. Right? And sometimes you've got to rebuild it from the, from the ground up. In this case, it's Joseph's family that's being redeemed and rebuilt. But these apply to anything we're walking through today, and not just our family. We're going to read the end of chapter 43, the beginning of chapter 44 of Genesis today. So if you have your device, you can flip there. You can look on the screen. Turn in your old-fashioned paper Bible, which I like to read out of. Uh, we're going to read uh, first Genesis 43, uh, and we're reading verses 18 through 34 here at first. This is our biggest chunk today. Verse 18 says this. Remember... Uh, they're, they're in Egypt for the second time, his brothers are. Now, the men were frightened when they were taken to his house, this is Joseph's house. They thought we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Simeon was a brother that they'd had to leave. The steward took the man into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were. Then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Little thumbnail of the story, Joseph's brothers... Those 10 brothers, they had left Joseph. They sold him off as a slave 20 years earlier. He'd become the second most powerful man in Egypt, probably the second most powerful man in the world. There had been a famine, and they had come to buy food from him, but they did not know that it was their brother. 
And that's where we are in this story. The first building block we see of redemption, the foundation of redemption, is a willingness to take action. Willingness to take action. Sometimes in our lives, we've got to just go do something. Enough talking. you got to go do something. We talked at length last week about Jacob, the father of the brothers, father of Joseph, and the 11 other brothers in this story. And we saw in Jacob, if you go listen to it, these familiar ways that we as humans respond to negativity. But also how eventually and beautifully, Jacob, he commended the situation to El Shaddai, his God Almighty. It took him a while, but he finally did. In the first verse of that passage we just read, we see the brothers, they do something that's so critical for us when we are beginning to rebuild a broken part of our lives. They get a ways out there and they figure out, oh, you know what, we, we have this silver, we don't know where it came from. So what they do is they take some action. It's been quite the year, the years for these guys, right, with two trips back and forth between their homeland and Egypt. I think for many of us, uh, when a part of our life has been torn all the way down to the foundation, it's really natural to have these questions about what lies ahead or even fear as we approach it, and that is what the brothers had. But it's important to remember that there are times in our lives when all we know is what's next. Only thing you know is what's next. You don't get to know everything that's in front of you. In this particular case, right, Joseph's brothers, they do not know exactly where this process is leading them. All they know is it keeps getting stranger and stranger. All they know is that something unusual is happening. As we've talked about, they've begun to come to grips with what they've done. One final step is to come eventually, and we'll see that going forward, I think, next week. But that is coming clean to their father about the fact that they had sold Jacob or Joseph, his favorite son, into slavery. But for now, this must have seemed, if you put yourself in the brother's shoes, it must have seemed like the strangest set of circumstances, right? They came the first time to Egypt. They received what they needed in the middle of the famine. But then these weird things start happening. They ended up with all the money they brought and the food the first time they came. And then history is repeating itself because they had to leave another brother behind. And in this part we read, somehow it seems like this prime minister of Egypt, he somehow knows more about them than he should. Weird things are happening. Make no mistake, these brothers, they approach it with fear and questioning. It probably, if I'm in their shoes, it does not feel good or safe to go back to the place where you accidentally took the money from. You ever tried to convince someone of something that was true but did not seem like it should be true? They're going to come back and then try and convince Joseph that they did not take all the money they'd paid for the grain on purpose. And remember, we know Joseph. He sent the silver back with them in kindness, but the brothers have no knowledge of this. And because of their guilt and their unrepented sin, they see it as God's punishment. All that adds up to the fact that they are not sure what the end result is. They just know they have to do what's in front. They know in order to get their brother they had to leave back, they got to show up. And they got to walk up to Joseph's door and they say, hey, second most powerful man in the world, here is the silver that I promise we accidentally took. Can we please have our brother back? <laughs> Sometimes, friends, the first building block to redemption in our lives, in any kind of situation, sometimes it sounds a little crazy. Sometimes you got to walk up and be like, I know this doesn't make any sense, but this is what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes it's the only place that we have to start. And can, my, can I submit to you today, friends, that if what it seems like you need to do seems a little outlandish, 
Maybe it's because it's God's idea and not our idea. Maybe we are supposed to go to our spouse and say, you know what, I'm sorry. And we know they're going to say, yeah, you've apologized for that 100 times. This makes 101. And you say, but this time I mean it. And the only change is something that's happened in your heart, right? And your spouse isn't going to know until they see how you act. Like I said, maybe it's because it's God's idea and not ours. That's why it sounds crazy. Maybe it's going to work and treating our coworkers with kindness. Even though that will be the opposite of how we've ever acted toward them and the opposite of how we want to act toward them. Because in our opinion, they don't deserve for us to treat them with kindness. They don't treat us with kindness. Maybe it's walking into church or pulling up the video today and you're thinking, man, I am the last person that should be in church. I'm the proverbial person that's looking out for the lightning bolt. I hope it doesn't hit me out of the clear blue sky. (laughs) But God, if you're real, here I am. Sometimes the thing that's in front of you, the thing you need to do, sometimes it sounds a little crazy. Just like walking up to Joseph and saying, here's the money that it looks like we stole, but I promise we didn't steal. You see, one of the most important parts of redemption is taking action. And sometimes that action that we're asked to take, it's the farthest step from what makes sense. And we see the action on the part of the brothers. On the part of Joseph, we see this important part of the foundation of redemption is a soft heart. Man, this is something we have seen from Joseph, a soft heart throughout this story. And it's not something new when it comes to him, right? Joseph's heart, his soft heart towards God, it has led him to where he is. Joseph's heart being soft is woven throughout this entire story. But just in these verses, these beautiful verses, we see Joseph demonstrated again. He instructs his steward to give them water to wash their feet after their long journey. We've talked about this in Bible times before. They did not have shoes or hiking boots. It was a long journey in sandals. Their feet were not just a little dirty. They were very dirty. So he provided them ways to wash their feet, clean themselves up. He provided what they need to take care of their donkeys. He continues to show kindness to his brothers, even though they had not been historically kind to him. But just as important is what we read in verses 29 and 30. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. You see, Joseph holds all the power that could possibly be held in this moment. He's finally got everyone where he wants. And remember, the brothers came and Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him. The brothers came and he wanted to know if his father and his youngest brother, his only full brother, Benjamin, were alive. Those are the things he wanted to know. So he sent them home with their grain and their money, knowing they were going to have to come back for Simeon. And here they are in front of him, and he has found out what he wants to know. Yes, his father is alive, and here is his youngest brother right in front of him. Even now, he could throw the other ten brothers into the deepest dungeon with no explanation, never to be seen again. He could have done that if he wanted to. Some of us may have been holding the grudge from 20 years earlier. Remember when you left me in the pit? Well, here you go. But what does Joseph do? He simply looks into Benjamin's eyes, so he has longed to see for 20 years, and he says, God, be gracious to you, my son. Can you imagine 
how Joseph feels because he'd had these dreams. The thing that started the whole deal was him telling his brothers, hey, I think you're uh, all going to bow down to me one day, <laughs> right? Not as smartest move. Maybe he regretted that decision every day. But he's seeing it come through, come true before him because here they are bowed down to him. He looks into the eyes of his youngest brother. And he does something that's so important. We've seen him do it before. A couple chapters ago, we see him do it again. Verse 30 and 31, this is the NLT. I just like it a little better. After all of this, all these emotions, Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went to, into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. And he's seen his family be redeemed before his eyes. I, I, I'm an interesting case in this sort of thing because I can be calm and, uh, you know, pretty quiet when it comes to lots of things. It can be like the house is on fire and I'm like, okay. Let's get out of the house, right? And people are like, you should be worried. I'm like, I am worried. <laughs> it's gotten me in trouble a lot. Uh, a lot of times people have been like, wow, you were so calm in that situation. And a lot of times people have been like, wow, you did not care about that situation at all. <laughs> um, except when it comes to my family. You, I mean, once a month I tear up talking about my family. And I think that's where Joseph is. He can handle all this stuff, right? He's the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world. And he's had so many ups and downs, he can't even catalog them all. But here he sees his youngest brother, and he can't handle the emotion anymore. We've noted this for before, but I believe a similar instance is repeated here for a reason. I believe it's repeated because it's important enough we need to be told it more than once. I tell my family and my sons the things they need to know that are really important. I tell them to them over and over again until they get it. And I believe God wants us to know this. We see from Joseph that it is essential that we process all of our emotion in a healthy way. It's also essential we do not let our emotion control a situation. Both of those things have to happen. Friends, God gave us our emotions, all the strong things you feel God gave those to you, but he also gave you the ability to not let them control your life. And friends, when we are walking through the emotions of a shattered and a broken world, and yes, through the emotion caused by a part of our life that might be broken, whether by our own actions or by someone else's, we must not act like our emotions don't exist. It, you can't do that because if we do, those emotions that you're trying to push down, they'll come find you at the worst possible time. You'll think you have them under control and they will come for you. And they will cloud our decision making. I've lived this. And those emotions will indeed control the narrative if we don't deal with them. I can think of so many examples from my life, both good and bad, ways I've done it right, ways I have not done it right, but I don't even need to give you an example because I know you're doing the same thing in your mind right now. You're thinking of times when, man, I did not process the right way. Because, friends, a soft heart is something we have to have if we're going to rebuild a broken life. Joseph, because he's able to process what he's feeling, he's able to treat his brothers with kindness, Right? allow their feet to be washed, take care of their animals, seat them at dinner, and then he comes out and he does what needs to be done. The end of verse 31, the NLT tells us simply, then he ordered, bring out the food. Goes out, takes a breath, says, okay, let's move on with our plan here. Another and absolutely essential piece of the foundation of redemption is a trusted friend. There's been this person mentioned here 
uh, and throughout this whole narrative. We'll see it next week, too. It's the one that verse 19 refers to where it says that Joseph's brothers went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. Now, steward is not a word that is used much anymore, right? Uh, In Joseph's time, many people, though, with authority, they had a steward. And a steward's job was to carry out the most important jobs, most important business of the master. In fact, the very best stewards, they carried the master's authority. They could do anything on, on the master's authority. In the New Testament, we, as believers in Jesus, we are actually called stewards when it comes to how we interact with God. Now, some of the more modern translations, if you have the newest NIV, um, they've changed that word to servant. But the ESV and the New King James, they, they translate it in what I see is the best way. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. When it comes to a steward, just so you know what it is, we are stewards of God's hope on this earth. God has entrusted us to carry out his most important job, given us his very best resource, and that is to faithfully tell others about him. We are stewards of the mysteries of God, the ones to take care of the most important things of God. Rewind all the way back to the beginning, right? The hope of Joseph, Joseph's life is the redemption of his family. He does not probably see how it's going to work out, but that was what he thought was going to happen from his dreams. And he, Joseph has no less a purpose than establishing the nation of Israel on the earth. As we get to the end of the story, we'll find out that's what happens. But Joseph Stewart here is much more than an employee. Joseph Stewart is the closest confidant who can be trusted in all situations. And we ended last week by talking about how Joseph was waiting to see if his brothers would return. Remember, he sent nine brothers away, and he was hoping that ten would come back. And when he sees them coming, it's his trusted friend, the steward, who he sends to meet them at the door. And that steward is able to speak on behalf of Joseph. I have the master's authority. Here's what you should do. In fact, most scholars believe that because of verse 23, that the steward was the only one Joseph told that these guys from Canaan were actually his brothers. Most scholars believe that Joseph told this one guy and this one guy only. And that verse, verse 23, tells us a lot about him, right? And pay attention close to the capitalization in your Bible. It's all right, he said, verse 23. It's all right, he said, don't be afraid. Your God, capital G, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Now, how would this steward have known about the God of their father? You see, not only does Joseph trust the steward with receiving his brothers, in speaking the way he does, the steward recognizes the deity of Joseph's God. And his friend, the steward, has apparently joined Joseph in honoring the one true God in a foreign land. Maybe we, remember we talked about that several weeks ago. Friends, we have to have someone, if we're going to rebuild uh, part of our lives, uh, we have to have someone uh, we can entrust with our deepest secrets, just like Joseph did. And with the type of trust God places in us to carry his mission forward. You know, uh, this steward probably at any time could have chosen to blow the entire thing up, but he was a trusted friend of Joseph. And when we're navigating the twists and turns of this life, especially when we are trying to rebuild a part that has been dashed to pieces, We need to have someone like this. You have to have someone. We're going to see more about this man in the coming verses and also next week. But I believe we see just three things in these few verses 
about him. One of them is that he is never named. If he is so important, you think we would see Stuart, whose name was, but we never see that he's named. And what I see in that, what that means to me is that a trusted friend is never looking for credit. The person that is by your side, that is with you every second, that has your best interests at heart that you can tell your deepest, most important secrets to, they're never looking for credit. My experience is that those we trust the most, they never look for credit. They never look to have their name known. And they're content and happy to be a listening ear and know the things that no one else knows. Keep them between the two of you. And they're content to help, no questions asked. And the best part is they're content to smile in the background when we succeed. Say, oh, yeah, I remember when we talked about that. I knew we could do it. Man, those are the best people to have in your corner. And you have to have them. We also see that this man, this steward, he trusts the same God that, Jake, or that Joseph trusts. I cannot stress to you enough, friends, you have to have someone to confide in that shares the same worldview that you do. You have to have a close friend who also believes in Jesus. It's absolutely essential. Now, if someone does not know Christ in the same way that you do, there's going to be a part of your journey that they simply do not understand. I'm not saying if you have a close friend that's a non-Christian, you should keep them on the outside. I'm actually, on the contrary, bring them along on the journey. You can figure it out together. By the grace of God, they're going to come to know him. If we're going to trust God with a change in our lives, though, we have to have someone with us on the journey who is willing to do the same with us, who can pray for us. Finally, a trusted friend is willing to go the extra mile for you. No questions asked. Joseph Stewart, he has greeted the brothers in Joseph's place, right? He's treated them with kindness, greeted them in the name of the Lord. And here at the beginning of chapter 44, we see that he's even willing to do something that really doesn't make much sense. Genesis 44, 1 through 12, it says this. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. Put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did, as Joseph said. As the morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had, gone, they had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them, but they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well, then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Man, Joseph's most trusted friend, he's been through a lot of things with Joseph, right? He's like, okay, boss, these are your brothers. We're going to send them off with their money. We're hoping they come back. But when Joseph told him, hey, send them off with the silver and also put the silver cup in their sack, he must have been thinking, what is happening? Joseph, I trust you, but this plan gets more and more unusual by the day. Are you sure about this one? 
First, the second most powerful man in Egypt has his long-lost brothers show up twice. Then they throw a big banquet for him. During this banquet, Joseph, they're keeping this secret, right? During this banquet, Joseph acts in ways that seems like he'll give it the whole thing away, right? He arranges them at the table by age, it says. He gives Benjamin, the brother he so desperately wanted to see, his only full brother. He gives Benjamin more food than all the others. I had the stewards probably thinking, man, Joseph, you're going to give it away. Now he's asked to do something just completely counterintuitive. Send them off with the silver again and plant something in the bag that's going to make it look like it's stolen. And you can imagine, man, if I'm the steward, I'm just waiting a couple extra seconds to make sure this is actually what Joseph wants. Are you sure? (laughs) I mean, I'll do it, but are you sure? But the trust between the two is such that if Joseph says he needs it, then his closest friend, the steward, is going to go do it. You see, a trusted friend is this essential building block we have to have when we're building the foundation of any part of our lives, a family, career, a faith. If you don't have one, can I just suggest to you that the church or within the family of God is an awesome place to start? All these things we do that are focused on fellowship, men's breakfast and ladies' coffee and the barbecue in a few weeks, all those things are so we can have the kind of relationship that leads uh, to this kind of help. I'll give you a great example from my life from the past couple years, and it has nothing to do with really any disaster or a sinful habit or anything like that. Uh, when we left our last church and uh, we were just preparing for whatever was next, we were six months away from even knowing about this church, um, and uh, we just resigned where we were in our last church because we felt like it was the right thing to do, and uh, um, we were kind of in the waiting, right? And uh, there's this guy, Pastor Wayne Crownover. He actually was here at the business meeting where... You approved us and all of that, so some of you have met him. Pastor Wayne pastors River City Church, um, and Pastor Wayne is just an incredible guy. And what Pastor Wayne was for us that summer, you see, we, we left that church. We didn't know where to go, and uh, we're looking for somewhere that had Wednesday night church because we like going to church on Wednesdays, and River City was the only church we could find. It's up there on the Northview and Cole area. It's the domes right there. And uh, I texted Pastor Wayne and said, hey, you guys have Wednesday night? The website's right. He said, yeah, come on over. And so... We showed up, and man, Pastor Wayne, again, I had not sinned, uh, you know, greatly. There had been no disaster, but just things were changing. Sometimes the Lord changes the season, and that's the way it is, right? And uh, we showed up there, and man, Pastor Wayne was the best listening year I've ever encountered encountered for that entire six months. Man, he was so good to us. Uh, I've mentioned him a few times before, but we showed up there, and they love on our boys uh, who, like, they were their own kids. Uh, the first Sunday that we went there, I, this is an honest-to-goodness, true story. We're hoping to make a good impression. You know, we had never really been there on a Sunday because I'd always been working on Sundays, you know. My sons were in this phase where they like to uh, bring backpacks everywhere of toys. It's fine. So we go to church. Uh, John says to me, Dad, I'm going to get my backpack out of the car. I said, okay, that's fine. I'm talking to Pastor Wayne. Five minutes later, I look up, and there's my son, John, in his Spider-Man costume in the balcony, like peeking up over all the pews. (laughs) They'd brought superhero costumes because they wanted to play superheroes after church was over. Pastor Wayne thought it was the greatest thing ever, man. They treated our kids like they were their own kids. They loved on us, gave me a key to the church so I could have a quiet place to hang out, gave me little jobs to do. Talked me through this process because he'd been there, you know, waiting on the Lord for what was next, and... Um, helps prepare me for what was next, which was this. 
Man, it was so invaluable to have someone that knew the Lord, that had walked the same road that I was walking, that I could really say anything to, and he wasn't going to repeat it to anybody. Friends, we've got to have someone we can trust who also knows God. It's invaluable on your journey of faith. You have to have it. I encourage you, find it within the family of God if you haven't. In the actions of Joseph's trusted friend, they make it possible for this very last piece we'll talk about uh, to be placed. Let's look at these final verses this morning. Uh, Genesis 44, um, 13 through 17, last verses for today. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves are the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Friends, one more piece of the foundation of redemption is, and this part is absolutely non-negotiable, you have to have it, is we must be willing to have a complete heart change. We have to have a change in our heart. When we are attempting to rebuild something, a broken family, a broken heart, broken life, or the season has just changed, all of it will collapse on itself over and over again unless our heart has changed inside of us. Next week, we're really going to see the turning point in the story. But it doesn't happen without what we see in these verses. Because you see, the brothers, they've weathered the two trips back and forth to Egypt. The strange things are happening. They have the twists and turns of their time in Egypt. But in every important conversation we've seen with the brothers so far, it's always circled back to something. And that is the secret that they have to hide. Because whenever the conversation turned to their brother Joseph, and it had often over the last 20 years... They had to revisit and prop up that lie they'd, be t- they'd been telling. Remember the lie that he'd been eaten by wild animals. And Judah has begun speaking more and more for his family. And though he knows beyond the shadow of a doubt he did not take the cup, he also knows what the evidence says, and that it's, it is in Benjamin's sack. Just a little aside, the silver cup that was used for divination, it was something that was of great importance in Egyptian culture, I don't believe, we really don't believe that Joseph used it. It was just something that an Egyptian nobility would have had. Most nobility would have had one. They believed the Egyptians did that didn't know God. They believed that the liquid swirling in them revealed the future. Not only was it silver so financially valuable, it also was culturally, spiritually valuable to Egyptians. As far as Joseph's brothers knew, it would have been incredibly valuable to the man who'd sent them. We have no evidence Joseph actually used it. I don't think he did. Uh, But because he was Egyptian nobility, he had one. Seems like Joseph, with his ability to interpret dreams, he would not have needed any cup with swirling liquid, right? Regardless, though, Judah, he knows that it's important and valuable. But we see the heart change in this, right? When uh, the steward shows up and he says, hey, you stole something, uh, his response is totally different because Judah has nothing to hide. He knows they didn't. And we can see the heart change in this. Jacob's sons, they had left their brother in exchange for their own well-being one time. But there's been such a change in them 
that even if it costs them a life of slavery, they will not do it again. They've got the same choice. Joseph says, hey, you leave him here and the rest of you can go. And they've decided 20 years later that it is better to be honest than it is to be safe. They'd rather stay with their brother Benjamin, even if they are imprisoned falsely, than have to live a lie again. They'd rather live in prison the rest of their life than live a lie again. That's what we call a heart change. You see, friends, when we have nothing to hide, the whole attitude of our heart changes. Man, I can speak from experience on that one and give you a hearty amen. When we have nothing to hide, we can focus on what God might be saying or how he is guiding rather than carefully keeping our secret every day. We got a big secret we're hiding. Our days and our nights are spent making sure that thing is carefully guarded. And the reality is, friends, we can decide that we want to make a change in our life or in our family. We can take an action one day like Joseph's brothers. Our hearts can be soft towards God in a moment in a service. We can even find a trusted friend that knows the Lord to help guide us through. And all of that must be done. All of that is necessary and helpful. But if our heart is not changing, we're going to find ourselves walking in circles. What Joseph's brothers found out is that submitting their lives to the living God, the God of their father who the stewards somehow know about, it was their only choice. For us, friends, if we're going to affect a change in our lives, surrender to Jesus is our only chance. If you need something to change in your life and in your heart, surrender to Jesus is your only chance. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? We're, we're almost done. Friends, even if we already know Jesus, we, we believe we'd be going to heaven if we died today. Uh, change in our life happens, good and positive change, when we give specific areas of our lives over to him today. And I want to give us an opportunity to pursue this type of change. I'm not going to um, call you out. Um, but if you're here this morning and... Uh, the type of change uh, you need to make is to give your life over to Jesus today. Maybe you've known him before, but you're far from him. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing all this. You need to know that Jesus, he came to earth. He lived a life with no sin. He died and he rose again. And when he did that, he took uh, my sin upon him and your sin upon him. And he not only did that, he rose from the grave. Because he did that, we can confess him, accept him into our lives, and we receive eternal life, the privilege of going to heaven, becoming a son or a daughter of God. So I want to do two things. I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed. If you're here this morning and uh, you know that there needs to be a huge change in your life and that changes, you need to accept Jesus. If you're here this morning, would you just slip your hand up so I can know and so I can pray with you, pray over you today. Thank you for your vulnerability, for your prayer today. Uh, Second thing is if you're here today and, uh, again, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and just I'll be the only one looking at it so I can pray over you. Um, if you're here this morning and uh, you know the Lord, you believe if you died today you'd be going to heaven, but if you're honest, there's things in your life um, that you just need uh, the Lord to affect a change in for you, whether it's the way you interact with your family or an addiction you struggle with something going on at your job, all things we've mentioned, or maybe something we haven't mentioned. But if you're here today and, and uh, you need a change to happen in some area of your life, and today you want to commit that thing to the Lord and say, God, it doesn't make any sense, 
but I believe today can be the start of something different. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand across this room so I can know to pray with you this morning? And thank you so much for your honesty. I'm just going to pray over you in this moment. Lord Jesus, thank you for your people that are here today. All of them who I believe know you. All of, them, all of whom have had the chance to respond to you. And for those, Lord, that raised their hands this morning, you know the change that you're speaking to the deepest parts of their heart about. Lord, I know over and over I've sat in a service like this and I've, I've said, okay, Lord, this is going to be the time when it changes. And by your grace, it has. So this morning in this place, uh, as we just abide in your presence for a moment, I pray uh, you would let the words uh, from Genesis speak to us today. Lord, if there's someone in this place and what they need the most is they need uh, to be around people that know you, to encourage them daily, pray for them. Uh, would you give them the strength and the courage uh, to pursue those friendships? Lord, if there's people in this place and they're sitting in these chairs and they raise their hand and they know that they know that there is action that needs to be taken in their life. They know they need to go home, flush something down the toilet get rid of some kind of service they have on their TV, Lord, whatever the case may be. Lord, if they know there's action that needs to be taken, maybe it's a phone call they know they need to go home and make, they've been dreading for years. Lord, would you give them the strength and the courage to do so as they give these situations to you. Lord, for those in this place that maybe they have hard, had a hard heart uh, towards you in a specific area of their lives, I pray that you would uh, continue to soften it in this moment. That it wouldn't just be in this moment as we pray and we feel your presence, but Lord, uh, our hearts would be soft to your speaking each day. Lord, for those that have always struggled with um, processing their emotions and the things that they feel, Lord, I have been there. Uh, I'm there on many, on many days. Lord, I just pray that you would give us the strength um, to feel what you've given us, but Lord, not let our emotions control our lives. You let us be in touch with what you're saying. Lord, you've seen the hands that are raised, and I pray that uh, you would answer their faith uh, by making a change in their hearts and their lives today. Would you give them courage, Lord Jesus, uh, to do what you're asking them to do? Thank you for your word that is sharp and alive as a two-edged sword. Uh, thank you that there is redemption in even the most broken situations. Lord, we may need to start at the very foundation with all the small pieces, but Lord, we know you're faithful. And I ask you would be faithful to your people this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Friends, um, you're dismissed to go this morning, but Zach's going to continue to play quietly. And um, a couple of us are going to be down here. And if you would like to pray with someone today just about a change you need to make in your life, uh, again, I just want you to know there's no shame in this. I've, I've walked many an aisle, many an altar and things like this. Just so someone would agree with me. But I'm going to be down here. Al, would you just be down here to pray with someone? And uh, uh, if you need to come pray, we would love to pray with you this morning. Otherwise, you are dismissed to go this morning. We love you. Thank you for coming to church. Um, we will see you Wednesday night or Sunday morning. Uh, don't forget to uh, sign up for the barbecue, all that good stuff out there. Uh, we'll see you soon. We'd love to pray with you down here in the presence of the Lord if uh, you feel led. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.